Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, your Ohio State podcast from Cleveland.com. This is Bill Landis. Um, you may be wondering why I am alone, uh, but I am. Uh, Doug Lee Maurice and Tim Bielek are not here. Uh, this is Wednesday. This is our normal kind of football um, slot for Buckeye Talk. We usually, we usually do football on Wednesdays and then sprinkle in a basketball or, or recruiting podcast some other time in the week. Um, and that was the plan again this week. We had some unexpected circumstances uh, that, that kept the three of us from all getting together. Um, I'm very lazy and didn't want to drive up to Tim's and didn't want Tim to drive down here. Um, Doug was not available. So uh, I figured we didn't want to leave you with nothing uh, this week. So we're going to do a basketball version of Buckeye Talk. So apologies to anyone who's looking for a little bit of football. I promise you we'll get back to that Um even if we're shorthanded again again next week, um, we'll, we'll be able to plan a little bit um, and, and figure something out. I, I don't know if that'll be the case or not, but we will have a football podcast uh, next week. I can promise you that. Next Wednesday, normal slot, football, Buckeye talk. But we're talking basketball today. Uh, Ohio State coming off a 79-52 win over Rutgers on Tuesday night. Uh, snapped a two-game losing streak. Uh, had lost to Penn State, lost to Michigan. Got smoked by Penn State, and then uh, kind of a tight game against Michigan that got away from them late, um, and had some good stretches in that. And then mostly uh, very good on on Tuesday night against Rutgers, which is the last place team in the Big Ten. So it's good to to play that team when you're looking for some feel good. And, and Ohio State got a lot of that. Um, it was Senior Night, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but but save for you know the last five minutes of the first half when Rutgers won on a sixteen to two run. And cut Ohio State's lead down. Uh, it ended up being 32-27 at the half. And it was a little alarming. It was a little alarming. I had some people on my Twitter mentions. Uh, someone said, yep, the uh, Cinderella's slipper is off. Uh, which, like, in the moment I get. Because, you know, it's it's Rutgers. And you lose the Rutgers. And, I don't know, maybe, maybe hit the panic button a little bit, like I said before the game. But uh, they did not lose. They won comfortably, seventy-nine to fifty-two. Uh, the way you would hope Ohio State would would handle a team like Rutgers, um, a, a lot of good. Maybe some lapses defensively, but when you're up big, that happens sometimes. They scored forty-seven points in the second half. Um, the offense I thought looked really crisp um, for the most part. C.J. Jackson had a nice bounce-back game. Uh, finished with eighteen points. Had a really nice floater going. Um, got into the lane a few times. Uh, had eight field goals. Six of them were, were in the paint. Which is, I mean, that's really good for a guy who's six foot one. Rutgers does not have great size, but Rutgers is a pretty good defensive team, uh, among the best defensive teams Ohio State has played this year statistically. Um, so to, to hang seventy nine on, on Rutgers, I think is is something you can feel good about. I mean, it's not he didn't play Carolina, but you know he needed a win, and 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 Rutgers at least does one thing. Well, they're awful offensively. Um, they really need some shooting help. They were also down a starter. Uh, Geo Baker, one of their starting guards, and not play. And he's a guy who scores 10 points per game. He's pretty athletic and probably a guy who would have been checking CJ Jackson a little bit and seemed like Ohio State took advantage of that. So I guess give him credit, but keep that in mind. Uh, it's, it's not a game that I think, you know, fixed Ohio State's problems. I think some of the problems aren't fixable. They're, it's just because of the nature of the roster. And, and maybe we'll get into some of that later. Um, and I wrote that after the Michigan game, if you didn't see, um, about Ohio State's guard play and how, Jackson and Andrew Dockich have, I, I think, performed admirably for, for the most part this year, but it, it's no secret that 
Jackson is not a true point guard. He's more of a scoring guard, and he reminded us of that on Tuesday night. So he's in an uncomfortable role, and, and Andrew Dockage is, uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, a point guard, but re- remember who he is. He's he's a walk-on, and that's not to, to short-sell him. He's played very well, I think, for Ohio State, especially compared to expectations, but he, he is who he is, and he'll be the first one to tell you that, and he's a bit limited. So um, that got exposed a little bit against Penn State and against Michigan. Um, not so much against Rutgers, uh, but they play at Indiana on Friday night, and, and Indiana is a good defensive team. Um, it's got some decent size, and um, Ohio State beat Indiana at, at home a few weeks ago, but that was not a game that was uh, a runaway the entire way. It ended up being a fairly comfortable win for Ohio State, but Indiana certainly matches up, I think, a little better with, with Ohio State than Rutgers does, has more talent for sure. Um, even though Indiana's in the middle of a down year. So that'll be um, more of a of a better gauge, I think, of whether or not Ohio State did get some things figured out. The one thing uh, about that Indiana game is Ohio State finally has a, a few days to rest. Um, Tuesday's game against Rutgers was their third game in six days. I thought uh, they had looked like they had some tired legs a little bit against Michigan, even sometimes against Rutgers on Tuesday night. Uh, and we've seen that before, that the schedule is... It's effed up with this uh, the Big Ten tournament starting next week uh, being played a week earlier in New York. The games were played in December. You're you're condensing the schedule um, into a shorter window than you have in the past, and it affects everybody. It's not unique to Ohio State. Everyone has had these kind of stretches, but Ohio State had a stretch earlier in the year where I think they played six games in twelve days or thirteen days, and they just got done playing three games in six days. Um, so they have some time off. Um, I expect they play Tuesday, they want to practice Thursday, but they might they might have today, Wednesday off entirely. Um, they do have to have two mandated off days per week, um, but that also could just be Saturday and Sunday because uh, the regular season is over on Friday. It's crazy. It's flying by a little bit. Um, Ohio State is 23-7, and 14-3 in the Big Ten, and there's one regular season game left Friday night at Indiana, and then the Big Ten tournament, Ohio State will play next Friday. Uh, we don't know the opponent yet, but uh, postseason basketball is will be here sooner than you think. Um, so it's weird. The season has kind of flew by a little bit, um, and it's been an interesting one. So we have questions from you guys. I appreciate it. I, I asked on Twitter to, to send in questions, and you guys did, and there were some really good ones. Um, people making me look up some information so that I actually have to sound informed for my answers and not just go off the cuff and possibly say something stupid, which I probably still will anyway. Um, but I do want to talk about a couple things before we get to questions. I uh, hit the Rutgers game. I want to talk about senior night. Um, it was a very cool setup, I thought, for senior night. Uh, Chris Holtman switched things up a little bit. Um, traditionally, Ohio State does what, what a lot of schools, or did what a lot of schools do, which is senior players and managers and cheerleaders or whatever, band members come out. Uh, have their name announced, walk out into the floor with their family, give coach a hug, mom gets flowers, player gets a framed jersey, stands at midcourt, posts for pictures, and that's kind of it. And Ohio State did that, and that was nice. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to poo-poo that. I mean, it's a, it's a nice moment for everybody. But then Ohio State took it a step further on Tuesday night with something that Chris Holtman says he thinks will become a tradition, possibly not every year. Depends on, you know, if they actually have seniors and if those seniors are liked, he said, um, which was funny. But he had uh, all four players who were honored 
speak to the crowd uh, after the game, and it was it was a really cool moment. Uh, they they played a video um, with the players, family members talking about you know how much they love their their son and and, and what watching them has meant and how proud of them they are, and that was all um, cut in with with clips of the player's career. Um, and then Chris Holtman would say a few words about the player, um, and then that player would address the crowd. Andrew Dockich, I believe, had the longest speech. He was, he was clocked at just over six minutes. Uh, Jay Sean Tate was about that long too. Uh, Katie Bates Diop and Cam Williams were a little little shorter, but they were all. It was all really nice. Um, Jay Sean's speech, I thought, was um, the certainly the most emotional. Um, he grabbed the mic, and said, "I'm not going to cry," and then of course he started crying. Um, Really got got choked up a little bit when he started talking about the assistant coaching staff and how much he he feels that that staff cares about him and and it's not this isn't to say that the last staff didn't care because Jay Sean also shouted those guys out and, and thanked them for everything they did and said they still keep in touch but you could really tell that it meant a lot to Jay Sean that this new coaching staff came in and and really like wrapped their arms around a group of players that. Um, they didn't. They didn't have to do that. They probably should have done that, but they didn't have to, and it wouldn't have been the first time that a new coaching staff comes in and has a senior class that, frankly, hasn't had a whole lot of success, and just and just says, "All right, we're we're getting through this season, but we're about building. We're not particularly about this year." And that happens other places. Whether or not you think that's the right way to to go about it is is a different story. But that did not happen at Ohio State. Chris Holtman and his assistants, uh, his support staff. Um, really did wrap their arms around the team as a whole, but especially guys like Jay Sean and, and Cam Williams and, and Katie Bates Diop and, and Andrew Dockett, who they brought in as a graduate transfer from Michigan. Um, there's a, there's a strong connection between the seniors on this team and the new coaching staff. And that's why you have a team that I picked to have 18 wins. Many people picked to finish about 10th, 11th or 12th in the Big Ten, and they have 23 wins and currently sit for sit tied for second place in the Big Ten uh, with one game left to go. So uh, Jay Sean's speech was nice. He cried. The team kind of all huddled around him. Um, Kata's speech was – Kata, by the way, is a junior who has graduated. Um, I asked him after the game, like, is this – have you made a decision about your future? Was this a just-in-case kind of deal? And he said he just did it because he's graduated. He has not made a decision – um, I think part of it was probably he wanted to he wanted to have the moment with Jay Sean. They're roommates. Uh, they're very close friends. Um, each thanked the other during their speech. It was it was a nice moment both times. Um, I, I if you were to ask me now, do I think Kato will leave and go to the NBA? I think so because he's a projected first round pick. I, I don't. I, some part of me thinks that maybe he'll come back. Um, I don't really know why, but. It's just a just a hunch. I'm not, I'm not saying it's definitive and it's really based on nothing, but I don't I don't view him participating in Senior Day necessarily as an, an automatic. He's gone. Um, it would be a little more surprising now to me that he came back if he did, but but I still don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think there's at least a small percentage chance that he might come back to Ohio State next year and um, again be the star on, on will be a young team, but but an interesting team. We got a question about that later. I'll, I'll get into, but. Um, all the speeches were great. Um, it was a really nice moment. I hope it's something Ohio State continues to do moving forward. Um, pretty good crowd um, hung around. There were fifteen thousand, almost sixteen thousand, in attendance. It was a, it was a good crowd, especially for a game against Rutgers. Um, and I would I would venture to say that a couple thousand stuck around to watch those those speeches after the game. The entire student section stuck around. Um, 
So it was nice. And if you, if you, I don't know what they showed on TV and what they didn't or, or what they played on the radio and what they didn't, but if you want to see any of the senior night uh, festivities, you can go to cleveland.com slash OSU. I, I, there's a, a headline there that says, I believe it says like, watch Jay Sean Tate, Katie Bates, the up Andrew Dockett and Cam Williams speeches. You can see videos of the individual speeches and also videos of the pregame ceremony with uh, the, the players and their families. Um, you can also check them out. If you go to, uh, YouTube and, and search um, Ohio State football on cleveland.com. Uh, the videos will be there as well. So check those out. If you're interested, they're pretty cool. Um, and I, if you just want to watch one, I would recommend watching uh, Jay Sean Tate's video. So um, quick look at the Big Ten uh, standings. Ohio State last week before going into the Penn State game was positioned to you know, win a share at least of the Big Ten title. That is not the case at the moment. Michigan State is alone in first place at 15-2 and two in the conference. Um, Ohio State is fourteen and three, half game lead on Purdue, who's thirteen and three. Purdue is the only team of the three that still has two games remaining. Purdue plays at Illinois on Thursday, finishes up with Minnesota on Sunday, and and Purdue has lost three of of its last four games. They lost to Ohio State, ended up losing three straight, and then bounced back with a win against Penn State um, the other night. But they lost to Ohio State, Michigan State, and then they lost to Wisconsin. And Wisconsin not very good. So so. Um, that's not to say that I still think Purdue is very good. Um, I think they have a um, kind of a complete team, arguably maybe the most complete team, not the most talented team, but the most complete team um, in the Big Ten. So I don't think Purdue is going in the hole, but it was just interesting. They, they hit a bit of a rough stretch there. So um, Ohio State has the head-to-head win over Purdue. Obviously, if those teams ended up finishing tied in the standings, Ohio State would be the two seed in the Big Ten tournament. Um, next week, the worst Ohio State can finish in the Big Ten is third. Uh, at the moment, Nebraska is fifth, and Ohio State would have a tiebreaker over Nebraska. But actually, Nebraska might have five losses. doesn't matter. Ohio State can't finish worse than third. So, uh, But Ohio State can still win a share of the Big Ten title. Mich- Michigan clinched that uh, last night with a win at Illinois. Illinois gave them a run for a little bit, but Michigan State pulled away and ended up winning, winning comfortably. Um, so Michigan State finishes... On Sunday at Wisconsin, now it's a Wisconsin team, like I just said, beat Purdue um, at Kohl Center at home um, the other night. So so Wisconsin ha- has it in them to, to beat an elite team. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't pick Wisconsin to beat Michigan State, but it's, it's not totally out of the cards that Ohio State does not, does not at least get a share of what would be its first conference championship uh, since 2012. Um, but Ohio State needs to win at Indiana on Friday, and Michigan State needs to lose at Wisconsin on Sunday for Ohio State to get a share of that title. Um, and then if you're worried about Big Ten tournament stuff, um, a tie in first place would mean Ohio State is the one seed because Ohio State has uh, the head-to-head win over Michigan State. So that would mean Ohio State would be the first team to play next Friday in New York if Ohio State is the two seed. It would play in the second window of games. It started at 6.30. Um, and if it's the three seed, it would be the late game next Friday, which probably end up starting around 9.30 uh, Eastern time uh, out in New York City. So that's the Big Ten picture. Uh, and then quickly, I'll just look at the NCAA tournament picture. We know that Ohio State, uh, a few weeks ago, the NCAA tournament selection committee revealed its top 16 projected seeds. And Ohio State was number 14. Is that right? I think, uh, I think that's what they were. They were they were on the four seed line. Yeah, number fourteen. 
So they were the second best number four seed in that projection, and then they ended up losing two games that week to Penn State. And uh, Michigan bounced back with Rutgers. Beating Rutgers doesn't help your your tournament resume at all. So uh, looking at the moment at some bracketology stuff, I always like looking at bracketmatrix.com because it's you can look at ESPN and you can look at CBS and it's fine. And, and, and honestly, you won't find a ton of discrepancy between whatever um, bracketology you look at as long as they're trying to go by the committee's guidelines and not like doing who they think should be in based on whatever their own criteria is. Um, so bracketmatrix.com has, has 70 something projections that it, that it all puts together, um, and then spits out a, a consensus bracket. And at the moment, bracket matrix, this is as of, uh, Tuesday night. So by the time you're listening to this, it could have changed, but it won't change much. Um, Ohio state is actually a five seed, uh, the, the, the number one five seed, um, on the same line as Gonzaga, Rhode Island and Kentucky, um, the thing that if Ohio State's a four seed, if Ohio State is a four seed or a five seed, I don't think that'll change much where they go. Um, they're probably headed out west either way. I think they need to to get off of that line or or hope that like Cincinnati really falls falls off here um, to to change that. Um, but at the moment, they are the best five seed, and West Virginia is the worst four seed. So that would mean that's your second round matchup if Ohio State were to win um, its opening game. And I would, West Virginia, on, on the list of, uh, you know, five, five to eight to ten teams that I would definitely not want to play if I were Ohio State, uh, West Virginia is certainly on that list and, and, and high just based on the way that they play defense and, and pressure you. Obviously, we've seen Ohio State and, and how it doesn't handle that all that well. Um, and Ohio State is the five seed. Obviously, we'll play 12 as the number one five seed at the moment. It would play the last 12 seed, which is Louisiana Lafayette projected champions of the Sun Belt Conference. I know nothing about Louisiana Lafayette. Sorry. Um, but that's where things stand at the moment for NCAA tournament. Ohio State hovering around like the four or five seed line. I saw one projection that had them as a six seed. Um we have some questions about about seeding stuff that we'll get to in a second, um, but that's where things stand at the moment. Uh, it's looking like short of some kind of run here at the end of the season that Ohio State will will remain in that particular area four or five, and most likely end up getting sent um, out west somewhere, either San Diego or Boise, Idaho, for for the first round, which would make it difficult for all of us to get there. So. I don't root for Ohio State, but I would not mind a NCAA, an NCAA tournament game that is closer to Columbus, at least in the first round. Oh, sorry, I was confused by a question. Okay, so I'll get to your questions. Thanks again uh, for sending them in. Um, you can always send questions, um, football or basketball related. Uh, again, football talk coming next week, I promise. Um, it'll either be the three of us or it'll be myself and Tim Bielek getting ready for spring football, which starts on March 6th. So that's around the corner as well. So we definitely need to talk some football before then we'll do some kind of spring preview. Uh, I think, yeah, that'll probably be what it is. Some kind of spring football preview next Wednesday. Um, and we'll take your questions for that too, but you can always send them to me on Twitter at Bill Landis 25. Um, you can send them to Tim Bielek at Tim Bielek at, to Doug Lee Maurice at Doug Lee Maurice and uh, our Buckeye Talk podcast handle on Twitter, which is at Buckeye Talk Pod. Um, 
We don't always get to every question. Usually when we don't ask a question, it's because uh, it was addressed in someone else's. Um, every now and then, it's because uh, we just run out of time. I mean, let's talk a lot. And I get nervous when the podcast approaches two hours. So this one will not do that. We'll be wrapping up here in a little bit. Um, questions. And I'm just going to go in the order. that No particular order. There will be no rhyme or reason to this. But uh, Andrew Craig says, Nearly every good team we've played this year, you've billed as a bad matchup for Ohio State. Do you see any marquee teams as a good matchup? Um, uh, first of all, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, the the team, and this isn't like uh, in uh, um, like a hindsight deal because Ohio State has lost both times to Penn State. I thought in the beginning of January that Penn State might be the toughest matchup for Penn, for Ohio State in this conference, just because of their 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 physicality and their good guard play. And that's and I don't, I'm I'm going to answer your question, um, Andrew, but I'll, I'll do so with the caveat like I'm 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 not a, a national college basketball expert. Um, I, I know Ohio State. I know the, the Big Ten fairly well. I, I understand who like the consensus good teams are, but I don't know those rosters intimately enough to, to give you um, all that informed of an answer. But but I think you look at, at specific markers of what would give Ohio State trouble, and that's, uh, I think, one, teams that generate a good amount of turnovers, um, and two, teams that have good size, because Ohio State does not have good size. Ohio State has below average size for for a power five or whatever major conference major conference school. Ohio State is um, ranked kind of in the middle of the pack nationally in size. You can look that up on KenPom.com. Actually, he keeps that in addition to some other great stats, but he keeps average size of teams as well. So uh, if you look around the country, like I, I don't know, and and if you looked at the teams who are ranked among the best, I'm assuming those teams are very big and very athletic because that's what makes you a good basketball team. Um, so I don't know in particular which teams nationally Ohio State matches up with. I, I think like I don't think Michigan State is a terrible matchup for Ohio State. Um, if the teams played again tomorrow, I think I'd pick Michigan State to win because Michigan State's play, playing really well right now. Has won 11 games in a row. Um, and and the fact remains that it has two McDonald's All-Americans and two lottery picks and Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges, but Michigan State does not have great size at guard, which gives Ohio State problems. Um, Ohio State, while it's not the biggest team in the world, has some pretty good post defense. We saw that against Purdue when Andre Wesson, who's six foot six, was was guarding Isaac Haas, who's seven foot two and three hundred pounds, pretty well in the second half. Um, Jaron Jackson did not kill Ohio State when they teams played in Columbus. Now Jackson's not a traditional post player. He's he's a six nine kind of wing, wing forward um, who can play in the post, but he can also shoot threes and he'll take you off the dribble. And, and he's he's got a complete game, which is why he's a projected lottery pick. And then Nick Ward is is their big man who who's six eight and and he's a he's a beefy dude and he's strong. Um, but I, I I don't I don't I think Michigan State is an elite team that is. In some ways, not not the worst matchup for Ohio State. So, um, I would say that about Michigan State. I think I would say that about Purdue. Um, and I know I'm leaning toward toward uh, Big Ten teams because that's who I know the best. But just like looking around, like teams that I've seen, uh, and, and this will sound weird because Ohio State lost to both of them, but but neither Clemson nor Butler generates a lot of turnovers. Um, Clemson has some pretty good size. Butler d- does not. Butler's a little smaller than Ohio State. 
and I know the Buckeyes lost both those games, but the Buckeyes were also in position to win both of those games. And and I, I think we'd all agree that Ohio State's a different team now than it was back in November when it lost to Butler and Clemson. So um, I wouldn't feel terrible about a potential matchup with either of those teams. Um, Xavier is a team that that's on the two seed line, probably at the moment, maybe a three seed um, that that does have some good size, but is not a high turnover generating team. Ohio State scrimmaged Xavier way before this, like before the season started. So like, don't 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 overvalue this. But Ohio State scrimmaged Xavier before the season, and Ohio State beat Xavier. And uh, I've been told by some people that Ohio State beat Xavier pretty good in that game. Now it's a scrimmage. Um, it it ultimately means nothing. It does mean nothing. And and Trayvon Blewett did not play for Xavier in that game. Um, but Ohio State played them and they beat them. So I don't know. Does that mean if they played in the tournament that Ohio State would win? Of course not. But it, it, I think I think if you get on the court with anybody, and and even if you even if it's a fluke win, I think you can can feel a little good about the quote quote unquote matchups in that particular game. So Arizona State's a team that's going to go to the tournament that that doesn't have great size. I think Ohio State could be okay there. West Virginia is a very tenacious defensive team, but is not a huge team physically. Um, but but and like Arizona doesn't have great size of point guard, which is good for Ohio State. Doesn't generate a lot of turnovers, but but certainly has good size in the front court and is is on average among one of the bigger teams in the country. So I don't know if I'm answering the question all that great, but but if if you want to to look around and and think about who Ohio State might match up against, um, I would look at team at, at size and and like defensive footprint, um, efficiency and, and generating turnovers. Because um, any any team that can really get up into you and guard you is going to give Ohio State problems because Ohio State doesn't have guards who can break you down off the dribble. And that's what I was talking about at the beginning um, with the way Penn State and Michigan defended C.J. Jackson and Andrew Dockich and, and Ohio State got exposed a little bit. So I'm not I'm not saying that Ohio State is completely hopeless in the NCAA tournament um, because I have no idea who they're going to play in the first round. But there are even some lower level teams or not what teams are going to be you know 11, 12, 13 seeds that are champions of of low major conferences um, that that have some of the markers that could be problematic for Ohio State. And then there's also teams that will win conferences that that aren't that good and are in the tournament because they won a bad conference. So um, I just I, I wouldn't get I wouldn't get terribly worked up about it now. I think like we're, we're revving up here. Like the tournament's around the corner. Ohio State's will, will be in postseason mode come come Saturday. But um, it's just it's just hard to say who Ohio State would match up with well and who they wouldn't match up with well. But um, I think we all know that that Ohio State is a team that was certainly for a stretch playing a little bit above its above itself um, is at its best when when the ball's moving and. Katie Bates Diop is playing very efficiently, uh, and 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 lately those two things have have not been happening. So they have some things to turn around, but um, I, I think Ohio State is a potentially dangerous tournament basketball team, and I'm going to write something to the effect of why I think that uh, either before the Big Ten tournament or before the probably before the NCAA tournament, just some stuff that I've been observing this year, um, like about their versatility. Um, about the fact that they're not they're not heavily reliant on the three point shot to win games, um, and some other stuff too. So so I'll have that coming later. But um, 
marquee teams that are a good matchup. I laid a couple out, but I, I, again, I don't feel super confident in that just because I don't consider myself an expert on the rest of the country. But I hope I at least gave you some some decent information, Andrew, to that question. Um, Goon at Goon4218 asks, has Kata Bates-Diop hit a wall? Uh, is this crazy schedule getting to everyone? And he says, all teams have been playing bad. What are your thoughts? Um, I think Kata is tired. I think uh, Kata has not, his usage rate is pretty high. It's not abnormally high, especially for a guy who's been as productive as he is. Ohio State does do a good job of spreading the ball out a little bit, but he still has a high usage percentage. Um, he's never played this much at the college level. He had surgery last year, leg surgery last year for, for a stress fracture, and I don't think that is coming into play totally now, but it's something to take into consideration. But it's just it's a new role for him. And I think yeah, he's he's I I don't hit a wall no, because I cause I think hitting wall in some ways implies that that you can't get past it. I just think he needs some rest. Um, and he'll get some here. That is the good thing about. I think it's ridiculous that they're playing the Big Ten tournament in New York, and even more ridiculous that they move the tournament up a week to accommodate that. It's it's absurd. Um, and Ohio State is feeling the the truncated schedule. I think a little bit here at the end, but. Ohio State will play Friday, have a week off before it plays a Big Ten tournament, um, and then we'll play the Big Ten tournament, and we'll have what? I mean, they could play if they play if they open the tournament on a Friday. They're going to have two weeks between games, and I don't know what they're going to do between those two weeks. Well, that'll be something interesting to talk with Chris Holman about um, either next week or, or after the Big Ten tournament. What exactly they're going to do? But but I do think Ohio State is a team. They will benefit from that time off uh, for two reasons. One, they'll get the rest. Um, and two, I, I do think that this assistant coaching staff is like a pretty good game plan staff. So so anything that uh, allows them more time to prepare for whoever their opponent is, I guess they wouldn't know their opponent until Selection Sunday, so maybe that's wrong. But um, I think time to heal and preparation can only help Ohio State. I don't – and, and – if Ohio State goes on a run, like they win the Big Ten tournament and they're playing really well and they're really hot and then they have to sit for two weeks, yeah, that would suck. Um, but short of that, if they if they win Friday, lose Saturday, win Friday, Saturday, lose Sunday, and just need some time to heal and it's not necessarily a, a momentum stopper, um, I think Ohio State can benefit um, from that time off. And a guy like Kata in particular, I think, can, can benefit from that time off because I do think he's playing more than he ever has and, and he, teams are beating the crap out of him. Um Really getting really physical with him, um, and and you're seeing it. You're seeing you're, he's got his his legs look a little tired on his jump shot. Uh, he's not finishing in traffic uh, the way he was uh, just a few games ago, and his his efficiency has really dropped. I think I had the the number in a story I wrote off the game on Tuesday night. Over the last three games, Kata is shooting twelve for thirty nine. You're talking about a guy who is. Well over 50% field goals, like close to 60% effective field goal percentage. And over the last three games, he's 12 for 39. Um, is not quite rebounding the ball the way he, he had been. Um, is not like dishing out the assists the way he was in some other games where he didn't shoot great, but but still found other ways to affect the game. So I just think he needs a rest. Um, I, I don't think his, his season is over in terms of, of being able to get back to that productive kind of player that he was all year. I still think he's probably going to win Big Ten Player of the Year. 
Um, but I do, I think it's, I think it's mostly fatigue with Kata. Um, so, and if that's the case, I think like he'll have to play through it against Indiana, but then he'll get some time to rest. And I think that could be good for him. Michael Cranach asked, what's the ceiling slash floor, floor for seeding purposes in the NCAA tournament based on how the season plays out? Um, so I kind of hit on that. I, I, when the, when the first projected rankings came out, I thought it was possible that Ohio State could, could play its way up to the three seed line. And, and two seeds just, just seemed out of the question because of the schedule. Um, and I know some people, when they saw that, thought that, like, if, well, if Ohio State wins, wins out and wins the Big Ten tournament, then they're going to be a two seed. And, like, maybe, but obviously that hasn't happened. They lost to Penn State and Michigan. So um, Ohio State is, like, a four or a five, depending on where you look, possibly a six when it all shakes out in the end. Um, beating Indiana, which would be... Uh, I, th- I think a quadrant two win, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look at the RPI real quick. Um, regardless, like beating Indiana is not, it's not something that's going to really boost, boost your standing. Um, Ohio State's only real chance of, of increasing its seating is to win the Big Ten tournament, I think. And, uh, the way it's shaking out that they could, no, I guess that's not true. Yeah, they could. So if they're the two, if they're the two seed um, and produce the three seed, then that would set Ohio State up to to win a Big Ten championship, potentially win a Big Ten tournament championship that includes wins over Purdue and wins over Michigan State. And if that happens, uh, then I think maybe a three seed is in Ohio State's future. Short of that, um, I think Ohio State's ceiling is a four seed. And say they lose to Indiana and then lose their opener, um, twenty three and nine they would be probably like in the mid twenties, low twenties in RPI. Not a ton of of great wins, but a good overall record. Um, I think you could maybe see if Ohio State loses its next two games. Uh, Ohio State is like a low six seed. I, I don't, I don't think they'd fall to a seven. Um. So I would say, like, best case scenario is don't lose again and you're a three seed. Worst case scenario is lose both and you're probably a, a, a six, low six seed at worst. I would be surprised if they were lower than that. Um, so that's not, it's not a, it's not a drastic window for Ohio State to be in. Um, but I, if, and I'm not, again, I'm not an NCAA tournament selection expert. There's a lot of kind of convoluted stuff, I think, in the selection process, but that's my read on the situation, I think. Ceiling three, basement six. Dave Fitzgerald II, Buckeye Fitzy, asked, if Jay Sean Tate had gone to play football a year ago, where do you think this team would be right now? He seems like the glue and energy guy quite often. So uh, that's a reference, if I can do a shameless plug, to a story I wrote uh, before senior day. I wrote it on Tuesday morning at Cleveland.com about Jay Sean Tate and how he deserves to go out on a senior season like this, a, w- a winning season, senior season, regardless of, of how it ends. He, he did that. They're, they're a winning team. They're going to the, they're a high seed in the Big Ten tournament. They're going to the NCAA tournament. And that's, you know, they wanted to compete for championships, but I think mostly Jay Sean did not want to go out a loser to, to be kind of blunt about it. Not a loser as a person, but like a loser as a guy who was part of a losing program. Um, so the thing I was interested in talking with Jay Sean about was, what was it like to be like the only guy who gave a damn for two years dragging this team along and now to be part of something that is has been in a lot of ways a very special run for the program 
and one of the things he told me, which which blew blew my mind, was that after last season, he was kind of done. He was like, like a lot of guys were, um, and I, I he had a meeting with Thad Mata and Greg Paulus about the possibility of switching to football. And I, I don't think he said he said he didn't think he would ever leave Ohio State to go try to play football, but maybe he would try to walk on to the team here, um, or, or see if he can get a spot on the team here. But the football team did not have a scholarship spot for him. It was probably um, a little pie in the sky to begin with, anyway. But it just it was it was shocking to me that things were so bad that that Jay Sean Tate, who who like Dave said is a is a glue guy and has been and has been the heart and soul of the program for for four years. Wanted to leave, and I thought that uh, was a pretty strong indictment on the previous coaching staff that they let it get that bad. Because um, I don't think Jay Sean Tate is is the kind of person to make such a decision lightly. I, I think he was he was at, at a real low point personally, um, and felt like he had done all he could do to help the team along, and, and it wasn't enough. So, um, but anyway, had he gone and played football, and he wasn't here this year. Uh, yeah, they'd be they'd be way worse off, and it's not. Jay Sean's having a very good season. His numbers are down compared to last year, but his his percentages are all up: field goal percentage, um, assist percentage, rebounding percentage, steal percentage, um, all up. I think his turnover percentage might be a little bit up too because he's playing some point guard. Um, but yeah, he's he is he's he is the unquestioned leader of this team. Katie Bates Diop is its most talented player. Um, but Jay Sean is the unquestioned leader, always has been. Um, he's so unique at what he does at six foot four as a post player. He creates a lot of matchup problems himself and is not a liability in my mind on the defensive end because he can play much bigger than six foot four. He's got really long arms. He can defend the post. There's been games where he's defended the center on one possession, then come down the next possession and he's defending the point guard. And I don't like, is there anyone else in the country who can do that? I don't know. Like that's, he's very versatile on the defensive end and, <laughs> he plays a little out of control at times, and I know he gets criticized for that. He's a very emotional player, but yeah, if Jay Sean Tate was not on this team, if he had decided to leave and, and whatever avenue that that took form, um, not the same season at all, not even close. Um, he's he's far too important to what they've done this year. Uh, another question from Davey says, "What's the future prospects at point guard look like? Uh, will the Buckeyes be able to address this area of greatest weakness for next season?" So it's very interesting. Ohio State, and we've talked about this before, has two guards in its 2018 recruiting class. Luther Muhammad from New Jersey, Dwayne Washington, uh, who is out in California but is originally from Michigan, um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And they're both guards. They're both kind of combo guards who I think both kind of shed more toward or shade more towards um, shooting guard than they do point guard. I think one of the two will get an opportunity probably to, to bring the ball up next year as a true freshman. Both will play, I think. Um, but it'll be those two and CJ Jackson, who I said before is not a true point guard either. So I can say with almost complete confidence that Ohio State will go out on the transfer market and look for a grad transfer guard. Um, who that is, I don't know. I have not surveyed the grad transfer market enough to 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 tell you who who are some names to look out for, because um, that's just that guys haven't started transferring it. So, um, but that'll be the avenue. So at the moment, the the prospects for the point guard, um, I think look a little better next year than they are this year, only because 
it's no shot to Andrew Dockage, but Dwayne Washington and Luther Muhammad are just more talented than he is. Um, he's Dockage is smart. Um, I wrote a story about him last week about how, and included in that was how in depth he gets with scouting reports, and 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 he has to be that way because he does not have the athleticism to make up for for other make up for it otherwise. Um, but at the very least, Ohio State I think will be more athletic at guard next year than it is right now. Um, and that includes Cam Williams too, who is a good shooter, um, doesn't do a whole lot else for Ohio State, but when he's shooting, he's 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 vital. Um, but I I mean Muhammad is is a very tenacious dude. He'll be a very good defender. He's six foot five. He's got some good length. Um, so I, I think from athleticism standpoint, they look a little better. Um, in terms of true point, they at the moment there's not one on the roster. For next year, I think that will change once Ohio State gets on the grad transfer market. But I, I can't tell you who that is at the moment. But it, uh, it won't be, uh, again, not to slight him, it won't be an Andrew Dockage type of addition, I don't think. I think they're going to go out and get get like a, a dude who um, could potentially start. Um, I think ideally, I'm trying to think what the ideal lineup would be next year. Here's the ideal lineup next year, I think, if Kata comes back. And it's a big if. But it's uh, grad transfer point guard X, whoever that is. Um, CJ Jackson at the two guard. So then you have, like, you kind of have, like, one and a half point guards on the floor. Uh, Andre Wesson at the three. Kata Bates the up at the four. Caleb Wesson at the five. And say Kata doesn't come back, it's that same lineup. And then probably Kyle Young at the four, I would guess. Kyle Young, or if I think they would like to play Micah Potter at the four. The problem is that I don't think Micah Potter can defend the four. Um, and that's an issue. And I know Kyle Young played 22 minutes against Michigan and, and did not look great in all of them, but he is, I think it's without question that he's more athletic than Micah, gives you more vers- defensive versatility than Micah, and that's why he played and Micah didn't. Um, I'm just as surprised as anyone that Micah Potter didn't play in that game. But thinking back on it, it does make sense. Kyle Young gave them the ability to switch defensively that Micah Potter does not. They can't switch with Caleb Wilson on the floor. They can't switch with Micah Potter on the floor. And when you have Kyle Young at the five and Katie Bates D up at the four, you can switch one through five, and that's to your benefit against a team like Michigan that has some big men who play on the perimeter. So that's why that happened. And then, uh, But I think that was a sign, too, that they – Kyle Young is, is definitely still working through some stuff. He's a young guy. He's a freshman. I think he gets he gets the leeway to work through some stuff. And but I think if Kata leaves, Kyle Young is a guy who's positioned to play in that power forward role um, next year for Ohio State. So okay, so here's a question that I meant to get to in the last podcast because I know uh, Paul, who's at Jaeger three, he asked this. Uh, it was either last week or the week before. Because I said something, I've said it a few times about when it comes to NCAA tournament selection, that and the metric they use RPI is is not the best one to use, and that's not like my unique opinion. I, I you'll find very few, I think, supporters of RPI as as the metric to use when when seeding teams for the NCAA tournament. Um, and you'll find a few defenders, because frankly, there is no there's no right answer. Um, but the reason that I don't like RPI and RPI is the ratings percentage index. It's uh, you'll hear it when um, come selection Sunday when the brackets coming out and you'll hear you'll hear stuff like quadrant one and quadrant two and and those are like quadrant one is wins against 
home wins against RPI teams ranked 1 to 30, neutral site wins against teams ranked 1 to 50 in RPI, and road wins against teams ranked 1 to 75 in RPI. And then, like, there's, those parameters are broken down even further into quadrants 2, 3, and 4, but quadrant runs the most important. And it used to be, like, this team has so many top 50 RPI wins, and, and they switched it this year to give a little more value to where you win as opposed to just winning. Um, so maybe that softened a little bit of the of the influence that I think RPI can have at times in terms of teams being misseeded and, and misjudged. Um, RPI takes into account, like, Wins, losses, and strength of schedule, and, and frankly, I think it weighs strength of schedule a little too heavily. So, um, the main issue I have with RPI, and the main issue that everyone who doesn't like RPI has with it, is doesn't take, does not take context into account. Um, it's just like, do you have a good record, and do the teams that you played against also play against these different teams? Like, you can rack up solid wins, you can rack up wins against average teams and be good in RPI. Um, and it doesn't, it's not the best barometer of who is the best. And the selection committee is tasked with getting the best at large teams into the field after all the automatic qualifiers have been in there. Um, like who you play can be more important than whether or not you win or lose. Um, it does not take margin of victory into account. It does not take how you win into account, how you play, um, what you're good at. Like it doesn't take things like defensive efficiency, and turnover percentage, the things that I was talking about that create problems for Ohio State. Um, now, some like I, that's why I like Ken Palm because I think it's a it's a better predictor of who is good and 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 who is deserving of being in the NCAA tournament field. And um, it's not to say like for instance, Ohio State is number twenty in RPI and number fourteen in Ken Palm. So it's not always that there's a huge discrepancy between the two. Um, but sometimes it happens. And, and my, my example for that this year would be Gonzaga who is number nine in Ken Palm. Gonzaga is without question one of the best teams in the country. You saw Ohio State play Gonzaga in November, and Gonzaga killed them. And that doesn't mean if they played again that Ohio State would lose by 30 again, but would would you pick Ohio State to beat Gonzaga? I wouldn't. Um, Gonzaga is really good, and they're number 43 in RPI. That's not the 43rd best team in the country. Um, That's not... Well, Gonzaga will probably win its conference and it won't matter, but if it were to be seated as an at-large team, it would be seated pretty low. Um, projected as a five seed on the same line as Ohio State at the moment. Worse than Ohio State. That That's wrong. Like, Gonzaga is better than Ohio State. Um, and I know, like, you should, like, who scheduling tough, I guess you should get, you should get some credit for that, but it's it's best. It's not who played the hardest schedule. So um, that's my problem. That's my problem with RPI. I just think it's not. There are better ways to figure out what what best is, um, and and they're trying to do that. Um, and the selection committee will tell you that RPI is not is not weighed as heavily as as people say it is. But bracketologists make their brackets based on RPI, and guess what? They're usually not that far off. So um, it is weighed heavily. But they are trying to change um, kind of the way they do it. It will be. Possibly as early as next year, there will be some kind of different metric that is probably like part what RPI does, part what Kempom does. There's a million other metrics out there. Just just a better way to find out what best is. Um, there's not there like I said. There's no obvious answer. There's there's no um, there's no magic formula out there that's going to spit out the best. What's there? 68 teams for the tournament. Um, 
but I just think there's there's something out there better than RPI because uh, I think context needs to be taken into account and context is not taken into account um, when you're just using RPI. So that's my issue with RPI. Um, and there's and again, it's not it's not my unique opinion. There's plenty of stuff you can read about why RPI is a bad measurement of teams. Um, I just happen to agree with that. So, all right, let's, we're going to fire some questions. Nathan G. Nilly asks, if Ohio State doesn't win another game this season, has it already been a successful season? Or ha- if Ohio State doesn't win another game this season, has it been a successful season? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Now, it's not to say <coughs> Ohio State, I picked Ohio State to win 18 games. Like I said, a lot of people picked them to finish 10th, 10th or worse in the Big Ten. And, and this media expectations should not define whatever your expectations were for the team because clearly we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Um but Ohio State on paper is not a, is not a twenty three win team, um, at least coming into the season. Didn't look like, like this is a team that that had very low prospects and is going to go to the NCAA tournament as as a you know a, a four five or six seed. So, um, and I, I think it would be crazy to expect unless you're Dan Dockich to expect them to go to the Final Four. So I in my mind this is already a successful season. If it peters out at the end here a little bit, which is certainly possible. Um, maybe that will leave you a little disappointed, but I would hope as an Ohio State basketball fan that, that you enjoyed that stretch of, of Big Ten play where they were beating everybody, where they beat Michigan State, where they beat Purdue. Um, there were some really fun games at the shot, um, great games on the road that were exciting to watch on, on television. Um, so I would I would consider it a success. I would consider it's already a great stepping stone for Chris Holtman. I think I think. If anything, the most important thing that's been accomplished this year is Chris Holtman being able to sell his vision for the program. He can sell player development with guys like C.J. Jackson and Andrew Dockich. Um, Andre Weston, even Jay Sean Tate got a little bit better. Um, he he allowed his star in Kata Bates-Diop to have the ball and play like a star. Um, the way the players talk about the coaches and their relationships is, is going to be very appealing to recruits. So people were back in the building. Um had a, their first sellout in four years. So um, I think no matter what happens the rest of the year, um, and I'm not saying that it's over because, it, again, I it, does, it depends on who they end up playing, but no matter what happens, this has been a success because Chris Holtman has told you that he can build something here, I think. Um, uh, maybe when he when he gets – when half the roster next year is, is Holtman recruits – Maybe that'll be a little bit better of a gauge, but I think you, Chris Holman can coach, his assistants can coach, they can build a program, they can run a program, and I think that much has been proven this year, and, and that's what you wanted to see ultimately if you're an Ohio State fan. The rest of this stuff has just been lacing on the cake, and, and there's been a lot of it. Um, so I think it's, a, it's a, a successful season already. If you disagree with me, feel free to tell me that and, and tell me why, um, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having expectations, although I, I, if your expectations were better than or higher than making the NCAA tournament and winning 20 plus games. Um, you have very high expectations and that's fine, but um, I would, just, I, mine would be different. So Ron Swanson at E underscore W I says way too early NCAA tournament prediction. Yes, it is. It is too early for NCAA tournament prediction predictions. I said it last week. I don't know who they're going to play. I just, I think it's, I think Ohio state is a team capable of getting out of the first weekend, but if they're sitting there as a four seed opposite West Virginia as a five seed or vice versa, um, I, I wouldn't pick that. So um, I don't. They're, they're not a Final Four team, and feel free to to 
throw it back my face if they if they get to San Antonio. Um, I depending on the matchup, I think they can get to the Sweet Sixteen. But um, my like my blanket prediction at the moment would probably probably be that they don't get out of the first weekend. But I, I can't say that confidently without knowing who they're playing yet. Uh, another GDLA question is next year's roster NCAA tournament quality. If Kata comes back, definitely. Um, if he does not come back, they're very young. Um, and it depends on who that grad transfer guard is. So it's hard to say, but, um, I didn't think this roster was NCAA tournament worthy and, and, um, that shows how much I know. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe not. I think you could see like a tournament this year, NCAA tournament this year and NIT next year, and then you're building towards something in the future. And I think that'd be okay. I think there needs to be some understanding of what Ohio State's losing this year. And it's definitely definitely losing Jay Sean Tate, and it's likely losing Kata Bates-Diop to the NBA draft. And that's your two best players by a long shot. And now there's some unforeseen things, like how does Caleb Wesson develop in the offseason? Um, does C.J. Jackson become more of a high-level scorer? Will he be more comfortable as a two-guard if they can get a point guard in here to play alongside him? Um, how does a guy like Andre Wesson progress um, with a summer of workouts that he didn't have last year because he was held out due to a medical condition? Um, how does Kyle Young progress? How does Musa Jallo prog- progress? Um, are, are some of these freshmen coming in better than we think? Is, is Luther Muhammad ready to be a key contributor now? These are all questions that I don't have the answer to yet. Um, but if the answer is yes to a few of, few of those, then yeah, I think it is an NCAA tournament roster. Um, but I think it's, it's just, there, there's a lot of unknown with the way the roster is shaping up at the moment. Um, for me to say definitively that it is, a, that it is an NCAA tournament roster next year. Eric James Phillips asked at E. Phillips, uh, what's his Twitter handle? At E. Phillips OSU says, without the Purdue win, is Ohio State a bubble team? No, I don't think so. Ohio State was in the 20s in RPI before that Purdue win. Um, if uh, like if if it was substituted with what I mean, they had to if, if they would have just lost to Purdue on the road, um, maybe they're like a seven seed. Um, they're probably still ranked in the AP poll, although that doesn't mean anything for NCAA tournament season. But I don't think Ohio State's on the bubble. If Ohio State was twenty two and eight instead of twenty three and seven, and thirteen and four in the Big Ten instead of fourteen and three, no, I still think they're probably like a seven seed and not quite on the bubble. Um, but the Purdue win obviously was a big one for them. Jian Wu says, "Who's better at handling ball pressure, Dockage or C.J. Jackson? Uh, Jackson for sure. Um, it's just because like I don't know. They're they're both not great at it." And I do think to a certain extent Dockage can read defenses a little better, but um, CJ just has more to his game. So I would I, w- I would say he has he has a, maybe a little bit more of an outlet to get to get rid of to get away from the pressure than Dockage does. Um, and then he asked, "Well, Dockage and Cam Williams return to the bench now that Senior Night is over." It was interesting that Chris Holtman started Andrew Dockage and Cam Williams on Tuesday night because it was Senior Night. It was their last home games in Value City Arena, which meant that Jackson and Andre Wesson, who had been in the starting lineup, came off the bench. And I asked Chris Holtman after the game, was that was that purely a senior night thing, or was there anything to maybe bringing CJ off the bench in particular, just because he had been struggling? And he said it was like it was weird. He said it was it was one hundred percent a senior night thing, but then he also said he had given some thought to the idea of bringing CJ off the bench. And he said ultimately, he said under normal circumstances, he probably would not have done that. Um, but I don't think I don't think it's the worst idea. And I wrote that after the game. Um, 
I don't like Cam in the starting lineup just because I don't think he's good enough defensively. I think he's best used as a scorer off the bench. And I like Andre Wesson in the starting lineup, even though Andre doesn't give you quite the offensive punch that Cam does. He's he's a more versatile and better defender and better rebounder and, and moves the ball, I think, a little better. And, and he's not super productive, but I, I just it's my personal opinion. I think he's better, more well-rounded. Um, so, but I, I also don't think you can start Dockich. So the solution to that would be starting Jay Sean Tate at point guard. Which they've done before this season. They did it um, against. They did it for two the two December Big Ten games. Jay Sean started the point guard, and CJ came off the bench. And CJ in particular played very well against Michigan. Had seventeen points in that game off the bench. So um, my 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 final thought is that I would not be surprised if against Indiana, Ohio State has a starting lineup that has Jay Sean Tate at point guard and CJ Jackson on the bench. I don't think they'll do that just because in the end. You don't really have the roster flexibility to do that, um, but I think it's it's I, I think it's something that Chris Holtman wants to do, but he kind of can't do, if that makes sense. So um, I don't think you'll see either Dockage or Cam Williams in the starting lineup against Indiana. I think it'll be what it was over the last few games before Tuesday night, which is C.J. Jackson, Andre Wesson, Jay Sean Tate, Katie Bates, Diop, and Caleb Wesson. Mr. Ohio said, who do you think the best team in the nation is, and do you think Ohio State could beat them? Uh, I think the best team in the nation is Michigan State, and Ohio State already beat them. So, again, if they played tomorrow, I'd pick Michigan State. Um, But Michigan State's the only team in the country that's top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency. And they're playing really well. They're doing that Izzo thing, getting towards March. So... um, that's the, and, and maybe there's some just familiarity there. I've watched them more than I've watched teams like Villanova and Duke and Carolina and Kentucky and whoever else you Arizona, whatever, Xavier, um, Virginia. So I like Michigan State a lot. Um, I think they are elite. I think that it's the best team that I've seen this year. Um, and Ohio State beat them. So I don't know. I... I, I I, I would be very curious to see them meet up again in, in New York in the Big Ten tournament to see how that goes and see how much of Ohio State's win in January was a fluke because um, Ohio State played its absolute A game in that game and beat Michigan State by 16, and, and people who follow Michigan State would probably tell you that was like Michigan State's C game or D game. Um, but like I said before, I don't I don't view Michigan State like personnel-wise as a particularly bad matchup for Ohio State. I think there are some things that work in Ohio State's favor there. So, and that, that's like, maybe that's like the, the perfect way to encapsulate Ohio State is, I don't think Ohio State is an elite team, but I think Ohio State matches up well against the team that I think is the best in the country. So, maybe that makes zero sense, but I just, I think it's, it's, uh, they're a weird team, Ohio State, they're a weird team. <clears throat> Last couple questions, let's see, Walter Hickman says, which incoming freshman has the best chance to start? Uh, Luther Muhammad depending on what they do in the grad transfer market. Um, if they don't, I think they're going to get one regardless if they don't get like a, 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 a guy who was a, who was a star somewhere else, which is possible um, that maybe Luther Muhammad is, is one of your starting guards. I, I don't see Dwayne Washington starting. I don't see Jaden Ledee starting unless he can beat out uh, Kyle Young for that starting power forward spot, which maybe isn't all that far out of the question. If Kate is back, then Jaden definitely doesn't start. And uh, I don't think Kyle or, Justin Aaron starts either. Um, I think, but I think all four guys will have roles. I don't think. 
with the roster turnover they're going to have, I think there, there's room for all four of those guys to play. But I think Luther has the best chance to start. And then second part of Walter's question, any chance an assistant leaves for a head coaching job after the success from this year? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I was very surprised that, that Terry Johnson did not get the Butler job because he had been there for so long and he's a good coach. Um, he was a Butler, I think, for 11 years. Um, he and Ryan Peden both interviewed for the Butler job, so that's all you need to know about their aspirations to become a head coach. I think Mike Stroggy wants to be a head coach as well, but he has not been an assistant all that long. Um, he's got a great pedigree. He 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 was in Indiana as a student manager slash like grad assistant kind of deal with Bob Knight was there, and then he was like director of basketball operations at Duke under Coach K. So he's got a good looking resume. Um, but I don't know if he's yet a head coaching candidate. I think he will be down the road. Um, so I, I, I don't think he'll be gone after this year. Um, but if Terry Johnson or Ryan Peden, either one or both got, uh, got offered a head coaching job after the season, I would not be surprised by that. Um, I don't know where they would go. I, I just, it depends on what's open. Um, but I also thought you saw, you saw Chris Holtman like make a hire just in case that happens when he, he hired Mike Netty, who is his title as special assistant to the head coach. Um, he was an assistant at Gardner Webb under Holtman. He was an assistant for four years at East Carolina. So he, he, he took a lesser role at a bigger school. And I think he is positioned to join the staff if and when one of the assistants leaves. Now, um, None of these guys are operating on two-year contracts. Um, Ryan Peden is the highest-paid assistant. Mike Schrage, I think, is the lowest-paid assistant. Um, Peden is, I think, in some ways viewed as kind of a younger, up-and-coming kind of guy. He's a he's a very good recruiter. They're all good recruiters. Um, so Peden might be most likely to leave. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if if they want to stick it out and like help Holtman build the thing for one more year, it would be, it would be a little bit to their detriment. I think if, if someone were to leave um, when they're trying, like they had the 2018 class signed, but they're recruiting 2019 very hard. And those guys can sign in November. And then this off season is, is important for those 2019 guys. And any kind of coaching transition, I think could be to Ohio state's detriment a little bit. Um, but I, I think you might hear Peden's name. You might hear Johnson's name thrown around a little bit. Um, but I would I would say that I think I think this staff is intact for at least one more year, and then uh, after that you might see some shakeup. And you also you you have um, I think um, apparent successors for assistant coach already on the staff, and a guy like Mike Nettie, and, and maybe in like Scooney Penn, um, who is let's see pl- player development or something, whatever he is on the staff. Um, I think he wants to get in the coaching. I think that's why he did this. Yeah, director of player development is what Scooney is. So it's like a non-coaching role for him at the moment. But if he wanted to be, if he was um, added to the staff somewhere down the line, that would not be surprising either. So um, the the names for potential replacements are obvious. It's possible they lose a guy this offseason. But I, I would, if you don't want me to predict, I would say probably not. I think the staff stays intact um, through next season. So uh, that was it for the questions. I appreciate it. Um, some really good ones. Uh, we'll do another. We'll do another basketball podcast before the Big Ten tournament. Um, I'll probably maybe do one from New York too, depending on how the schedule all shakes out. Um, Ohio State plays Friday night at Indiana, eight o'clock on FS1. 
um, final regular season game, and then some time off for the Buckeyes, and then the Big Ten tournament in New York, which starts next Wednesday. Ohio State will not play until Friday. Um, I will be out in New York. I, I don't believe I'll be in Bloomington on Friday, but I will be out in New York for the Big Ten tournament, and then the NCAA tournament after that. So, and then we'll get back to, like I said, football podcast normal Wednesday next week. Um, apologies if you were really geared up for a football podcast. We just we just decided not to do one this week because of some unforeseen circumstances, like I said at the top. So um, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for reading at cleveland.com. Um, you can always go there to, to find uh, our stories, cleveland.com slash OSU. You can go to cleveland.com slash podcast, podcast to find Buckeye Talk. We have a Browns podcast. We have an Indians podcast. We have a Cavs podcast. We have Doug's uh, take by, Takes by the Lake that will probably be very heavy on Browns draft stuff uh, for the next few weeks. Um, but you can find all those at cleveland.com slash podcasts. Um, and uh, you can subscribe to Buckeye Talk at on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find Buckeye Talk. So, uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, Tim, for Tim and Doug, who are not here but normally are here, uh, I'm Bill Landis, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>